0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics.
1: Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're heard in over 60 countries around the world, and we're the number one Global Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs, and today we're broadcasting, as usual, from Los Angeles. On this program, we love entrepreneurs. You know, people that are creative and who make something out of nothing. People that employ, most of the people that are employed in this country. And this shows all about being an entrepreneur and having enough guts to break out of the routine. Put everything you've got on the line and doing something that you really enjoy doing. I just want to tell you a couple of stories. I think, think When we think about entrepreneurs, we generally think about tech people, don't we? We think about people who have invented an app or they've Facebook or a whatever. But there are really millions of ways you can be an entrepreneur in almost every field you can imagine. So let me talk to you about a guy, Navid Moazes, who, um, after being accepted into law school, he figured he'd see it through. You know, you don't start law school lightly. But as time went on, he started to realise he didn't want to be tied to a desk. It was boring. So he dropped out to start his own business. Didn't have a clue what to do. So two years later, two years, that business earns Navid $500,000 a year and allows him to work from anywhere in the world. So he's an entrepreneur, could have been a lawyer. So Navid launched his personal website a few months after leaving college. He was inspired by people who followed non-traditional career paths and by books like Think and Grow Rich and... How to Win Friends and Influence People. Boy, what a great book that is. It must have been written 100 years ago. Still fantastic. Now, he didn't have a real business or making any money at all when he dropped out, but he just did it anyway. At first, it was a way to document his own entrepreneurial journey and hopefully inspire a few other people. He started from scratch without any experience or relationships at all in the online space. So he had to learn a lot and build his authority and personal brand online as he went by trial and error. So he started building out his website without any sort of defined objective because he didn't have a clue what he was doing. His only goal was to share his own personal experiences. Now, one would have thought that that was as boring as batshit, but... Um, Very early on, he scored an interview with uh, passive income master Pat Flynn, and that sort of set the site's tone and got some initial attention. He ended up building some great relationships with some influential people and uh, developed many more through really working those online communities, and he followed the Zig Ziglar philosophy. Which I agree with entirely is that you can get everything in life you want if you help other people get what they want. So in April 2014, he added a podcast and he called it The Lifestyle Architects. He interviewed people like Robert Green and Kel Newport, Todd Herman, Joel Com, Laura Roda, people like that. But the problem was it did not generate any cash flow. Or didn't grow his email base either. So Navid came up with the idea to host a virtual summit on personal branding, which became the Branding Summit. He made it free, and his idea was to um, grow his email list. And about 3,000 people signed up for free. You're going to get 3,000 people. So he also provided the option to purchase bonus podcasts along with admission to the summit. And he quickly made 200 sales, but he had 3,000 new people on his email list. He was selling the interviews and the presentations from the summit. He had 88 world-leading entrepreneurs on it, plus exclusive bonuses like live Q&A, a um, uh, a private Facebook group, tickets to the event, those sorts of things. He made a no-brainer offer. At $97, and as the summit went on, he raised the price to $147. Now it's $197. So he started to make money while he slept. When he was at the gym, he made money. The grocery store, he made money. Lying on a plane asleep is making money. So after making $20,000 from his online business, He sold or donated most of his belongings until everything he owned fitted in a single suitcase. So all his possessions in one suitcase, and he's happy with that, and he takes it with him as he trips around the world. Now, he said he never was a minimalist person or thought that he could live out of one suitcase, but now he just travels around the world and he makes $500,000 a year doing it. Moaz says, there will never be a perfect time or moment to get started to be an entrepreneur. Take one small step today. Act well before you're ready. Take big action and just do it. It sounds to me like you have the absolute idyllic lifestyle. Hello, I'm in Rome. I'm making 500 grand. Hello, I'm in Spain. I'm making 500 grand. So if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, there's absolutely no time like the present to go out and do whatever it is the hell you want to do. If you enjoy it and love it, you'll be successful at it. Now, the great thing about being an entrepreneur is there's really no limit to what you can do. You don't have to invent a new piece of sensational technology you can do something really simple like this next lady did. Her name is Andrea Ayers. And Andrea started looking for jobs after moving with her husband to Boulder, Colorado, when she was five months pregnant. And after a number of interviews that went nowhere, she decided, well, hell, I'll build my own business. You know, where she'd have some flexibility, she got a new baby, so that would work out well. So she decided to launch a T-shirt company. Now, there's fucking millions of them. There's t-shirt companies all over the place. But she started a T-shirt company, and she started with $1,000. They weren't very flush. They had $1,000, and she figured that if she lost the $1,000, well, you know, it's not that bad. prefer not to. Um, So she decided to outsource the screen printing. She ordered a bunch of shirt samples and chose the one that she thought that she, if she was a customer, would want to buy. She decided that she was going to sell to women and then use inspirational phrases that she put on the shirt. So she was learning as she went along. So she placed a first order for 96 shirts in four colours, drove to Denver, took them to a screen printer, she took her own photos and set up a website and a shop selling the tees for $28 each to see what would happen. Orders trickled in during the first month really, really slowly and then at a prenatal yoga class she noticed that her instructor The instructor was wearing a shirt that said, um, be present. That's all it said, be present. So she thought, hmm, maybe it makes sense to sell my shirts to yoga studios. So that weekend, she spent two days coming through yoga websites to build an Excel spreadsheet of 3,000 yoga studios in the US and the names of the owners. So she diligently got down, went out and found these studios, found the owners, put them in a database. Then she emailed every single one of them individually. Now, of course, you'd use MailChimp. She offered the shirts, which cost less than 8 bucks each. She offered them to the yoga studios at wholesale of around $14. Within a week, she'd sold out every single shirt. And she could um, start to reimburse herself for the, the costs of setting up the company, but also make a profit and order another order of shirts. From there, the business snowballed. And that first year, it earned one hundred and twenty-four grand. Earned. Not grossed. Earned. As the business continued earning more and more, she was paying herself 10000 a month. And she began to get so many emails from people asking questions like, how do you do it? How do you start something from scratch? Can I do it? Can I hire you to help me do it? So she started consulting and took on five clients for 500 bucks a month each and taught them how to launch their businesses. But now she had three young kids and helping five clients was too much, so Angela decided instead to launch an online course on starting a business. But she didn't have real big experience on starting a business. She only had her experience. But she'd been blogging about her experience with the T-shirt business and started to build an email list and an audience. And she offered a course for $47. About 50 people of her 200 person list signed up after another $47 course with similar sort of number of registrations about 50 she launched a third higher end six week course at 800 bucks and she sold 60 spots now that's 50 grand and she created videos to include in the in the in the course and uh got affiliate marketers on board. Since then, she's been offering not only the courses on her website, launchgrowjoy.com, but also a $125 a month membership to access media opportunities. She also takes regular speaking engagement to pay up to $10,000. Her business has allowed her to spend more time with the three kids. And her husband now works part-time also. She works about 25 hours a week and employs virtual help, including an assistant, a designer, a copywriter, and a video producer. Now, over the past few years, her income's pretty steady at about $250,000. So go, girl. That sounds like another idyllic lifestyle. Don't work too hard between you and your husband, 25 hours a week. Make quarter million bucks, look after your three kids, have a great time. Good on you, girl, Andrea. Well done. Now, last week I mentioned the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, and uh, if you receive my new le- newsletters or emails, you'll notice that I have the designation AISMM after my name. Now, I joined about twenty years ago, and it really has in assisted me with my business, it's provided me a a lot of information, I mean there's a wealth of information, lots of courses and things you can do, and I've networked with a lot of incredible people, so it's America's premier training organisation and of course the um, certificate for the wall and the um, designation after your name doesn't do any harm, And the the whole idea of the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management is to improve the skill and capability of its members. So we want to raise the standard and proficiency of both individuals and companies within what are the most important proficiencies in business, let's face it, sales, marketing and management. You know, company directors and managers and executives through to marketing specialists and engineers and trainers and consultants and students, all work with the Institute with one common common goal, and that's people and company, growth and success. So if you're interested in becoming a member, go to get a pen and write this down, AISMM.us. And I forgot to mention, I have just been made honorary president. And uh, that's a long way away from being a humble member 20-odd years ago. After the break, my guest today is Eric Rice, who has been a serial entrepreneur entrepreneur for more than 10 years. He currently serves as the founder and CEO of Trepscore, and that's a data-driven peer-to-peer knowledge network that uh, is designed to help entrepreneurs cut through the noise of data overload and proactively provide actionable information at the exact right moment. Prior to starting Trepscore, Eric founded, invested in, or advised more than 30 startups in fields ranging from financial services to software to live action gaming. And I am going to talk with Eric immediately after the break. This is Bob Pritchard. I'll be back in a moment.
0: Listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the
1: show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're on Voice America Business, and we're proud to be the most listened-to radio program in the world for entrepreneurs, with people listening to us in over 60 countries. Now, In this part of the show we talk to extraordinary people, entrepreneurs that are either enjoying great success or establishing a new business and are making a difference. There are some amazingly talented people on this planet and I love to speak with them because they teach us so much. Being an entrepreneur and being successful is bloody difficult and we don't want to make the mistakes that people before us have made and have found a way to solve. We'll find plenty of mistakes of our own. So by listening to these interviews, we can find out what are the things that they've done that made them successful, that we can learn from, and also the ones that we want to, don't want to emulate. Today's guest, Eric Rice, he's a fellow metal member, and has been a serial entrepreneur for more than 10 years. Eric's specialty is bootstrapping lean startups, he currently serves as a founder and CEO of TREP a data-driven peer-to-peer knowledge network designed to help entrepreneurs cut through all the noise of data overload and proactively provide actionable information just at the right moment. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that… Probably 10 years ago, I was getting 400 emails a day, and most of it was crap. But because we've now got better firewalls, etc., we're still getting 400 emails. But most of them are data and information that we can use, and that's of interest, and that tells us what's going on. But if you spent your day reading all of this data, you'd never get anywhere. So the key is... Just getting the information that you need and getting it at the right time. Now, prior to starting TREP Score, that's T-R-E-P-S-C-O-R-E, Eric founded, invested in or advised more than 30 startups in fields ranging from alternative financial services to software to live action gaming. Boy, I bet there was a frustrating thirty startups. Woo! His wide-ranging industry knowledge makes him a highly valued partner to many of the top entrepreneurs in Southern California. We've been talking a lot about entrepreneurs achieving the impossible lately. And Eric's favorite quote is only the man who can see the invisible can achieve the impossible. I think that's great. A couple of weeks ago I had a fellow um Medal member on Ken Cragen And Ken was saying that um, To achieve the impossible Is actually easier Than achieving the ordinary And uh, when you think about it It's true Hi Eric Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show Hey Bob Thank you so much for having me Really appreciate it Now being successful today As I mentioned Is very difficult Particularly if you're underfunded Because the entrepreneur Needs to wear so many hats I mean Developing your Product or service, whatever it is, is hard enough. But to run a business and worry about finances and worry about management and, and all of the rest of the things you have to worry about and the legals um, makes it so difficult. There's just so many hats. So tell us about the startup market today, um, the primary challenges, the trends, how people are addressing this wearing hats, wearing too many hats situation. Well, the startup market today is really
2: interesting. So it's, it, it's it's really evolved over the last 10 to 15 years into some things have changed. Most things have changed. Some things are still the same. But the, the, the real big changes in the startup marketplace today are uh, they've come through innovations uh, and, and innovations in prototyping. So mm-hmm. the ability to put a product on the market quickly and find out whether it works or not. Is changing the dynamic of what a startup is. It right. used to be a, a napkin on a sheet. You go get some money and you build something really expensive, and the failure rates are extremely high. It's right. A lot different today. Yep. Okay. One of the big, the biggest trends that you'll see though is that the with with rapid prototyping and ease of building companies, there's really honestly a, a becoming a very big lack in truly innovative products. So where we used to see people trying to solve problems like um, like you know transportation and healthcare and some of these bigger ones, there, there's a, a real big appetite from both startups and investors for, you know, simple products. I, I always tease people that uh, when I meet a new startup, I say, you know, my am Eric, good to meet you. Please tell me you're not the Uber of something. <laughs> <laughs> like the first way I start with it, something's an Uber of something or we're like this and, and, and people are being trained to, uh, very much like Ken Cragen said, they're trained to uh, assimilate themselves with something ordinary so that it's easily palatable. And those deals get funded quickly, but the really, truly innovative products, uh, they take longer to get to market, and they generally uh, have less funding in the beginning and tons of it in the end.
1: So, are you saying that Uber isn't um, innovative? Uber itself is, but I ran into a gentleman the other day, uh, I
2: asked him what he did, he said on the Uber dog walkers, which <laughs> just received $1.4 million. Jeez. Um, I have a dog. I have two kids. Uh, I have a busy life, and I have absolutely no problem finding a dog walker. I don't really necessarily know where that pain point is, yeah. but uh, there's, I've met the Uber of uh, the Uber of accountants, the Uber of lawyers. It's 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 becoming a, a very redundant copycat market, which is predictable in in a rapid prototype
1: environment. Very predictable. We were talking last week about the Uber of toilets. Did you see that? That now there's an have, Uber. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now. Yeah. One of the difficulties that I hear most um, entrepreneurs say is the challenge of raising money. Now, you, you've headed up, what, 30-odd um, startups. how do you raise your money? Where nearly every entrepreneur I speak to says, jeez, I've knocked on a million doors and I haven't been able to raise anything, what's the secret? Well, there is there is no secret. Um, again, the easier your idea is to understand, the faster
2: it's funding most of the time. Yeah. Uh, the more audacious and ambitious the idea is, the slower, the, the more relationship-driven your investor contacts become. Uh, I can give you the, the, the trial and, and tribulations of, of us raising capital. What we're doing is extremely wanted, needed, and tested. It took a long time to figure out what to do. It took a long time to get people to use it. Uh, but in, in my opinion, the, the, the investor interest is now multiplying by 5 6x every week because not only have we gone to the market with a problem, we've maintained relationships with our, with our investors, even when they say no. And when they say no, we ask them why. And, and we, you know, some cases you got to beat it out of them to get why. Uh, <laughs> but you get that information and you would continue to grow and you display who you are, how tenacious you are, how resilient you are, how innovative you are. Um, and and the, the, the fundraising process, the real secret sauce is to have patience. You know, whether you have or don't have money, you have to understand you're asking someone you generally barely know to write you a check for uh, something they may never see a return on. Right. And it, it, it really is a long the long tail relationship process that most entrepreneurs, because we have such high ADD levels, uh, don't have the bandwidth to, to withstand. So a lot of fundraising goes by the wayside because people look at it and say, well I didn't raise any money in 60 days, it's supposed to be done. Uh, When it's 60 months, then you can look at it and say it's done. But if you have a really good idea that's sticking to the market, you've got to be resilient. It's the number two trade investors look for is resiliency.
1: Interesting because um, Tim Draper's a friend of mine. He's been on the program a couple of times, and he says that the most important thing to him before he writes a check is to look in the person's eyes and to feel the passion and how tenacious they are and how much they believe in it and the fact that they'll run through a brick wall for it. And he said that's much more important to him than the actual product. Now, I'm not sure that I quite believe that, but how important is um, getting in front of the um, potential investor and and showing that tenacity and belief and drive? Extremely. Uh, I mean, the the thing with... The thing with passion and entrepreneurs
2: and investors is most people don't really play it the right way. So your first, maybe second time entrepreneur raising money, they're going to be really passionate about this product and and this company. And because their their passion is so siloed and, and focused in on one thing, it actually is risky for the investor because if, say, that one thing goes awry, you know, passion is one thing, but resiliency is another. So yeah, again, mm-hmm. you've nailed it right on the head. you got to have passion, so you have to be resilient. The, you know, the more experienced entrepreneurs, you're more passionate about the success, like driving not necessarily the product and what it can do or does, but the success of a company and making sure that, you know, as you become an experienced entrepreneur, you have a track record and that track record is just as important as today's product. Right. So it, 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 it really does, it means a ton to the investor in the beginning, but face-to-face means more than anything in any relationship in the world. Social media can never replace face-to-face time time with anyone.
1: I agree. Now. I was reading the other day that by 2020, up to 60% of the S&P 500 won't be in business. They'll be gone. Now we know that technology is um, creating um, an evolution in, in most businesses. It's, we approach them differently, we communicate differently, we've got much better knowledge, etc. So where's the market as a whole and the entrepreneur market in particular headed? Where are we going? Well, it's a great stat uh, because Intuit just
2: recently released a a, a statement uh, claiming that they estimate that 40 percent of the U.S. workforce will be independently employed by 2020. So, not only are the big corporations losing an in innovation because so bureaucracy makes it so difficult for them to move quickly enough to to feed the the appetite of technology change. Yeah. but we're also seeing a big change in
1: expenses of running those companies. It's not becoming cheaper to run a large corporation. It's becoming far more expensive. And, their, um, and their structure, the structure, the whole middle management thing, is so inefficient. And called you know things get siloed, and then there's so much um, um, animosity and and different sections of the company working against each other. Big companies have got everything against them, haven't they? Well, I can give you two examples of that because that's a great point. Number, number one example is, uh, I talked to, I mean, I, I, I probably chat
2: with 30 to 40 entrepreneurs a day, every, Sundays included. I just am addicted to the space. Uh, and when I talked to some of them, I talked to a guy about three weeks ago that said, I got this great idea and I won't give the name of the company because I don't want to embarrass him, but uh, I went to this company. It's a perfect fit for them. I spoke to a guy He said, yeah, this is a perfect fit. And I never heard from him again. What the heck going on? I said, well, it's, it's very simple. You probably created a perfect fit for that company, yeah, and probably. you probably talked to the exact person, and that person's job is threatened by the mere fact that they didn't think of that idea. So all they have to do is throw it in the waste waste bucket, and all of a sudden you now have an idea that he's protecting his job. If you come in and innovate, your Face he controls. You're you're literally putting his job at risk, which is a major major problem. Right. Uh, the other one. Our stats that was recently put out by uh, some independent studies done by Bain and some of these other places that uh, went in and talked to middle managers, and the number one most fr- number one frustration point for middle managers, entrepreneurs, or executives right now is information overload. Yeah. And statistically, seventy nine percent of all people in positions of authority within their own company or another uh, feel that they have more information available to them by the
1: time they get to work now yeah. than they used to have in an entire month five years ago. Yeah. And you know, the, for some reason there's this desire to want to absorb all this stuff. I mean I get all these emails and instead of saying, Well, that doesn't really apply to me now, I'll look at it later, I think, gee, that's really interesting. I'm gonna delve into that and find out what it's about. And so you found yourself totally buried. Well, more than varied, you find yourself constantly distracted. Yeah. Like things like that
2: are, are extremely distracting. So, you know, the the same studies which I'll be more than happy to email you uh, to use on the show. These studies show that, that the average person can't pay attention to anything longer than five minutes, not because they're incapable of paying attention, but because a tweet will come in, an email will come in, a RSS feed newsletter will come in, yeah. something comes in that continually distracts us, so our workforce is getting less and less effective and more and more busy, which makes no sense. But so that's where we're going.
1: Yeah, but there's so much sensational crap around isn't there I mean I could, I could sit here all day and read all this stuff that I get and be totally I wouldn't make any money but I'd be, I'd be a lot more intelligent probably and um, I'd be entertained um, I've, um, so where is, where's the entrepreneur market going then what are people really focusing on
2: well, so the entrepreneur market, when you, when you, when you say the word startup to so the average person, they automatically think of Silicon kind of Valley tech startup. Yeah. Uh, but the st- startup market's evolving, where startups are becoming more brick and mortar. They're in certain areas. Uh, they're becoming more B2B focused and not just providing oh, consumer okay. products. Yeah. And they're really looking at solving problems that uh, uh, fit into larger puzzles. So mm-hmm. the only way that the large corporations can actually maintain their stronghold on the marketplace is to fund, uh, incubate, uh, you know, partner with, collaborate with these, these intelligent young startups and be able to absorb or acquire that technology on a pre contract basis. Right. So they're not doing that in many cases right now. They're not saying, I'm going to give you this money and I want to first write a refusal for it. They're saying, create a venture fund and the venture fund's not communicating with the mothership uh, and then you have a, a disconnect. But the, the entrepreneur market is really evolving into more of a plug and play environment where they're building apps on top of platforms instead of building new platforms. They're building. Um, you know, very niche driven products that are being either self funded, uh, or overfunded. There's really not a whole lot of underfunding that's going on any longer. It's, it's either a big, big chunk of money to compete or nothing. Um, and that's really good for the environment. That's a, that's a, that's a competitive advantage for both sides. Um, so kind of revolving back to the secret to raising money, in my opinion, has always been to bootstrap through proof. So, Take the money you need when you need it. Take as little as you possibly can, and prove out your model so that you you have less dependency upon and with an investor in the future. If you if you display great, just like with anyone, if you display great dependency, then you're going to have to give up quite a bit. But if you can if you can manage to tough it out through those early early phases, you're going to get to a point where you're in control of your own destiny, and that's really where the startup market is is hopefully going. Um.
1: I've got an interest in a startup in Brazil, and um, that's one of the reasons I'm spending so much time in South America. but um and I was reading today that thirty four percent of Brazilian companies are focused on something to do with big data or gathering big data. Um, is that is that a focus of of startups at all here or I know that refers to companies you know wanting to go out and gather big data and analyze it and Subjected to algorithms, etc. But um, is there is there many entrepreneurs focusing on capturing that big data and spinning it out and being able to define your customers so much more readily, and then using, say, location to um, to really understand their buying habits and their and their lifestyle habits.
2: Well, this is uh, this is the ocean I swim in on a daily basis. So. Okay. Um, Good. Number one, number one to answer the question about big data and, and where, uh, it's very regionally specific. So if you look at uh, San Francisco, tons of big data companies. If you look in New York, tons of big data companies. Seattle, uh, most other places in the United States are focused on, so you know, like L.A., I'm a big data company, and we're kind of uh, uh, sore thumbing this down because we're not producing the Uber dog walking. Right, uh, but, th- but there's a, a definite regional appetite, because at the end of the day, great ideas get funded by, uh, by investors who can have regular face-to-face meetings with their entrepreneur. Um, some of the bigger players in that space, Finland's very big in, in, in big data, yep. but the big data market itself is really confusing to a lot of people. So there's different types of companies. There's companies that, you know, collecting big data is very easy to do. There's no company that's going to come out that says, I collect more data than anyone. It's very easy. What sure. they're doing, though, there's a few different types. So some of them are doing uh, siloed big data breakdowns. So uh, you can hire our company and we look at your customer data. we help you refine it. That's very useful. Right. Then there's the other big data companies that provide, you know, generalized dashboards in certain areas, which the CEOs of Sale Through just had a great article about this and said that uh, most of the dashboard industry, which is considered to be big data, uh, is bottom-feeding companies that are providing pretty visualizations and giving right. no advice, no insight. Yeah. Um, and that's that. a big problem they're getting tons of funding just to make data look pretty so they people going be able to make data useful uh, organized or beautiful and the ones that will succeed moving forward are the ones that are doing all three and providing true insight so they're creating sure. machine learning and artificial intelligence
1: the rest of it is, is already kind of missed its boat right so, do you, so you're suggesting to me that big data is not a big focus in Kansas it could be <laughs> there's always some smart person in the basement somewhere that's doing something cool that's for sure <laughs> so one of the most common issues that um, founders face today it used to it used to be money was one and secondly getting the right people around you I know so many entrepreneurs that have gravitated to friends that are half smart but not necessarily um, the right person for that industry or whatever so is that still the same sort of issues, or are there different issues today? Um, well, to answer e- easily, the, the main problem founders face
2: today is attention. So it, in our market, it's become cheaper to open a company. Uh, there's co-working spaces. It's cheaper to house a company. Uh, yeah. It's easier to find a lawyer. They're discounted. They're online. It's easier to um, you know raise capital, crowdfunding and for, for certain types of companies but the biggest problem entrepreneurs face is getting attention. Uh and and that means, you know, the right attention. So getting attention from investors who are yep. bombarded with deal flow or getting attention from the media to get new users, getting attention from potential customers online. That's the biggest problem they face. That and of course, I mean the two fundamentals the, the two things you mentioned will be eternal. Uh finding yep. money and finding the right people will, will be eternal uh, for any business. But after that, I would say attention, like really like spotlighted,
1: you know, attention trying to cut through all the messages that are out there creating, uh, vying for exactly the same space. Yeah,
2: Google told us, this is directly from Google, they told us that um, the average human sees 5,800 ads a day. 5,800. Yep. Yep. That's astounding. You've got to figure out a way to be the one or two that people will pay attention to and follow up with.
1: Yeah, and I think the average person sees that many and can remember five or something. Yeah, at best, I, I,
2: I'm one or two. So I'm going off my own, my own, uh, my own minuscule brain power. Maybe one <laughs> or two a day I look at and I remember. And generally, you know, ironically, because we, you know, especially at metal, we talk about uh, the the convergence of technology and media. Ironically, the only commercials I personally remember are the ones I see on
1: television. I don't remember any of them I see online. Yeah, I'm. The, I must admit, I'm exactly the same. Now, let's talk about trip score. Um, It's a data-driven peer-to-peer knowledge network, so I guess that provides a clue as to why you've created it. What's the full story there? How did it come about, and why is it called TripScore? Well, uh, the way that we came about is really interesting. So at the end of
2: uh, one of my last companies was acquired. I left there uh, as a a contextual search and recommendation engine for mobile apps. Right. And left that, left that business and said, you know what, I've done so many of these things and helped so many companies. I want to do something that I'm 100% passionate about that helps people like me. Uh, and I'm a pure play entrepreneur. There's, I have no hobbies. I, I do. My hobby my, is my career. Um, I love what I do. It's different every day. So we started out by saying, looking at the exact problems that, that you stated. Two hardest things for startups are money and people. So we created a vehicle that would allow entrepreneurs to connect their information, upload documents, and get scored so that their score could be uh, transferred out to investors as a ranking system. Um, this was interesting, a huge play, uh, but it was something that the market's not ready for, and it's something that we listened to the audience when, when we heard them say that this is just too big of a platform to launch. We listened the entire way. Right. So what, what we've done along the pathway is we have basically created a scenario that uh, one of the largest companies in the world doesn't exist today. Uh, which is looking at problems. The actual problem of an entrepreneur is the fact that most people as an entrepreneur wear a thousand different hats a day, meaning right. you have to learn yep. four or five new jobs on the fly. Yep. And when you're trying to do this, it's extremely difficult to you know get information quickly. The right information pertinent to me and my industry. It's almost yep. impossible. Yep. And we looked at at, at the advisor market because I've done that quite a few times in my career and. Uh, I actually will resign if the if the founder the, the CEO doesn't contact me once a month. It's like, what's the point if you don't want my information? Yeah. Um, because nine out of ten times, when I my love notes going on there, they're like, oh, that's exactly what we were looking to do. So we looked at that and said, why is why are why are entrepreneurs so reluctant to do this? And, then, and the simple fact after interviewing a thousand of them was, uh, they don't have the time. So are yeah, still busy. Yeah. Yeah, trying to learn how to be an accountant or putting up fires. Basically, entrepreneurs get a great idea for innovation in the first year of their business. They do everything but innovate, which yep. is ironic. Yep. So we looked at it and said, well, how do we, how do we help here? You know, how do we do this? And there's been plenty of companies that have tried this in the past, but we did something very unique. We started com- using the API connectivity that we created. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's like connecting your yep. CRM or you're connecting your Google Analytics accounts into uh, our system. And what our system has been designed to do from day one is to be able to create averages. So these are your rolling averages of each one of these categories, and there's hundreds of them, and detect deviations or, or improvements. So we looked at it and said, well, if I'm a company and I have a CRM connected and my sales are slower than normal, I want to get great information sent right to me on how to, how to solve that problem, how to improve that situation, instantly without having to pull it from the internet from billions of articles. But I want four or five articles, videos, podcasts sent directly to me that'll give me information on how to solve that for my company, at my stage, in my industry.
1: And so we built that. And it got the attention of a couple really huge companies. So you you capture all this information, all these articles and, and statistics and everything else that's out there, which is big data, and you pull it together And you, uh, through some sort of algorithms or whatever, you determine what are the most pertinent articles or information for uh, a particular company in the stage that they're at. Is that what you do? It's what we did. That's where we started. So that was the instance. That's where you started. Oh, okay. Correct. (laughs) Sounds pretty difficult to me, but okay, I got (laughs) you. The, the maturation came in,
2: uh, in in number one, creating a manually human vetted curated library. So instead of pulling big data, you may, I may be sending you because of the way we search for it with an algorithm, I may be sending you an article on Mickey Mouse, and you, you doesn't have anything to do with your business. Right. So what we did was we created a, a bin of two thousand, a little over two thousand articles. We had them okayed and approved by investors, entrepreneurs of multiple categories, and we, we created the, the we we searched the content based on two criteria. Number one can I read it, watch it, or listen to it in less than five minutes? And number two, can I apply it to my business instantly as action items within 10 minutes? it didn't fit that criteria, we didn't put it in. Um, So we built that in place. And then we quickly realized that that's not really that much content. Uh, And we started to think of new ways of doing that and creating a more uh, protectable model. So what we're doing now is we're actually sending these things out. Um, By the time we launch in April, you'll be able to do two things. Once you get... Get a, an alert, you know, you're gonna alert directly from our system without having to go to a dashboard or go anywhere, just on your phone, and it says, Eric, your uh, website traffic is down 10% from your norm. Here's five suggestions and insights on how to improve this. And we'll we'll track your links, and what we'll do is we'll watch your progress. So if you get it back to normal, so you get your website traffic back to normal, our system will will award you points, which can be used for, for services, promotions, uh, you know, exchange services with other startups in the system, but it'll also say congratulations that you did it. And for more points, uh, you know, you can either make a 90-second video by pushing this buzz, it'll hit your webcam, or you know, type in some information. Tell us how you solved that problem. So what yeah. we've done now is created a scenario where, when one entrepreneur joins the system, the system automatically gets smarter. So right. in a, in essence, the way I explain it, not an entrepreneur based, but it's just a human a human example. I buy a table and I'm putting it together, and I can't figure out how to put this darn table together Uh, I want my system to know I'm having trouble putting together this table and I want my phone to ring and when I push the button it's going to have six people one 12 minutes ago the next one 22 minutes ago in Vietnam North Carolina who had the exact same problem who figured it out and then they're going to tell me in layman's terms how I figure it out as well and that's where the entrepreneurial space will go it's almost a digital advisor uh, a, a machine learning vehicle that literally every entrepreneur that contributes to the system the next entrepreneur down the road gets much smarter.
1: So how does somebody um, become a customer or a member of Trepscore? What, what do they do? Uh, well, right now, we, we filled our data pretty quickly, so we're closed down there, but we're still
2: uh, accepting. You, know, you can just go to trepscore.com, uh, request a beta invite, fill in your name and, and, uh, and your email address, and we'll get put on the list. Uh, in the next three to four weeks, we'll be opening it back up again to uh, up to 10,000 users. Right. And when it gets put into that model, you'll be invited into it to connect one or two APIs and start providing and absorbing new information to help us test out uh, what content is most relevant to each type of company. Um, it's an interactive an interactive system, but those who sign up for this early will be offering a lifetime discount on the service. Um, and for the first, uh, we haven't determined how many for the first X amount of users, you'll actually get this for free for the rest of your life. Um, it's so important that we have quality entrepreneurs who are sure. solving problems, who have the ability to explain it to the next
1: one down the road. Sure. Well, it only it only builds on quality information, quality advice, and quality participation, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. A, the fundamental issue we're trying to solve is credibility and source. And, uh, the, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur and I have a problem with anything and I go online, I get something from Forbes who, that was written by two people. One of them a journalist who really has never done what I'm doing before. Or it's written by a big CEO of a company that's been big for six or seven years who has no idea what I'm going through as a startup. No right. clue. I don't care how, how attached they are. Yeah. Uh, but what we're doing is basically saying the information we're sending to you, we have verified that that person has actually factually corrected the exact same problem you have. And they're in the same stage, same space, same relevancy. So if you can find that information anywhere else in the world, I challenge anyone It just doesn't exist yet. But we're going to make that happen.
1: Right. So Brian Williams can't join <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's welcome to join <laughs> So how do, Why the name TREP score? I must be missing something here TREP score uh, Well it's, uh, it's it's kind of ironic It's The, the name itself
2: uh, is two words Mushed into one So TREP is the middle of the word atre- entrepreneur And it's the term that a lot of people <laughs> use on Twitter Okay So it kind of defines the shortened time, the, the attention span of the entrepreneur, of a reader these days. Um, and then the score comes into play in two different ways. So per our name, uh, the score is really, it's, it's a constant scorecard for what you're doing. The system won't let you miss problems of the company or won't let you miss good things you've done either. It's constantly watching and reading your performance specifically for you. Uh, but we've also added in a gamification model. So. For the, the entrepreneurs in the system, April, uh, April, hopefully April, maybe like, maybe mid, mid or early May, uh, we'll actually be creating a gamification model. So every time you do something great, you've improved a problem, you're going to get the score. You're going to get points. Every time you help the community, you get points. Every time you need the help of the community, you lose points. Uh, it's basically building in a knowledge currency where based on the amount of interactivity you have with the platform, you can extract more and more information and really run a much
1: better business in half the time. Well, that's fantastic. I, I realize now why you've been involved in 30 startups and why you're obviously extremely good at it. Um, so we're, we at the Bob Pritchard, we're all about helping entrepreneurs. So how can my audience help you with the launch of TREPScore in April, early May? Uh, sign up today. Um, we'll, we'll be, uh, as more and more numbers we have in place, we'll
2: be opening up, uh, different forums uh taking in suggestions of great information. So if you're um, you know somebody who reads online a lot and like this article really helped my business, please send it to us. Uh we'll incorporate it into the library. Um, and then we'll manually be circulating some of these uh, requests out to an audience. So if you've experienced and it, we'll, we'll give you a list of all the problems that we're tracking in the beginning, if you right. experienced any of those problems and you've corrected them, you know, please make make a video. Your name will be put on it. Our, our purpose is here is to promote and brand. Um, you know, extremely successful and efficient uh, entrepreneurs that are willing to help others because the entrepreneurial space is the only, this is the great thing about entrepreneurs, we're the only group of business people that are willing to share information freely. Nowhere else in the world do you find that.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Well, Eric, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to find out more about, Eric Rice and Trepscore, go to trepscore.com. That's T R E P S C O R E.com. And um, even though Eric says that um, he's totally involved in um, being an entrepreneur, he can't come to metal tomorrow because he's little leaguing, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break.
0: America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now,
1: back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs, and today we're broadcasting from Los Angeles. If you've missed any one of the shows over the last four years, you should go to the archives at Voice America Business, or go to bobpritchard.com, and all the shows are on the website. Just simply go up to the navigation bar to radio show. And it's got a description, or it's got a title of the show, and it's got a description of the interviewee going back for four years. So um, please go and do that. Five years ago this week, certainly doesn't seem like it, but five years ago this week, a tiny startup called Uber was founded today. Uber's got more than 3,000 employees, is valued at around $50 billion, making it the most valuable private tech company in the world. I saw um, an item on the news on television, and I didn't actually write down the numbers, but uh, in New York City, there's something like 25,000 cabs and 100,000 Uber drivers. So it just gives you an idea where it's going. I use Uber all the time. Uber is fantastic. You know know who you're getting. You always get a clean car. The people know your name. Um, You've got their private phone number. It's it's really brilliant, and it's a bloody sight cheaper than cabs, and uh, cabs in Los Angeles are pretty grotty. Now, three of the early employees... Of Uber, and this is another reason why you should be an entrepreneur and get into startups and work with startups. Uh, three of them took a chance, threw everything they could into the company, and now, what, five years later, all three are billionaires. Not millionaires, billionaires. Oscar Salazar. Joined Uber in 2009 and left in 2011. He's not one of the billionaires. He's well off, though. Salazar was a co-founder of the company. He and Camp attended business school together when, and then built Uber's first pro- prototype with another school friend, Conrad Whelan. Salazar departed the company amicably soon after it launched, and he's now the chief product and technology officer at Ride, which is Great also. It's a logistics startup that's focused solely on commuters and carpooling. It is very cool. Austin Geet uh, joined Uber in 2010 and he's now head of global expansion and process. He started at Uber as an overdressed intern and employee number four. And at first, her job wasn't well defined and saw her moving from handing out flyers to cold passers-by, to cold-calling drivers. That's a bitch of a job. She also took customer service calls at 3 o'clock in the morning, but now she heads up Uber's global expansion, which has spread to 300 markets in 56 countries. Good on you, Austin. Go, girl. Well done. Curtis Chambers joined Uber in 2010. He's now the Director of Engineering... And before Uber, Chambers helped build Expensify, the popular online expense report startup that you may well be familiar with, as well as contributing to open source Drupal and Django. He stayed as a director of engineering since he came to Uber, although on LinkedIn he describes himself as Uber's secret weapon. I don't know what that means. Ryan Graves also joined in two thousand and ten, uh, and Ryan is the head of operations globally. Now, how about this for a start? He tweeted co-founder Travis Kalanick looking for a job back in two thousand and ten, and the rest is history. He got hired five years later. Ryan. and he's worth $1.4 billion. Now, that tweet to Travis was about the smartest tweet anybody's ever made, I reckon. Now, Garrett Camp, who co-founded Uber, as you probably know, in 2009, he then created his own startup studio called Expa. Today, Expa works with founders to help them build and grow their own companies. That's a that must be so rewarding. So Garrett is now Uber's chairman, and he's an advisor. And uh, Garrett's stake in Uber is now worth five point three billion dollars. Five point three billion. That's not bad. Amazon. Amazon's um, been desperately trying to find a way to. Um, promote its Prime uh, membership and uh, give people value for money, and uh, a lot of people are doing analysis and saying if it's just for sending out parcels, you've got to send out millions of them, but um, apparently Amazon's getting ready to launch its own line of food and household products as part of its Elements brand. Amazon's already filed the paperwork to get trademark protection in more than 20 product car- categories, including milk, coffee, soup, pasta, water, and razors and cleaners, and a whole bunch of other stuff. They've also approached private label food companies, including Treehouse Foods. Now, the new products will be an extension of Amazon's Element brand, which launched last, November, last December, I think, um, with two products. They only had diapers and baby wipes, and baby wipes they wiped <laughs> in January after nobody bought them. Elements products are only available at Amazon Prime members who pay $99 annual membership fee. So it's starting to get better. Now, since these are food products, Amazon could face more questions around the quality of its manufacturing process, but all Amazon Elements products reveal information about ingredients and where they are manufactured, etc. So they are probably pretty safe. Now you're listening to the Bob Pritchard radio show Worldwide and Voice America Business, and we're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, doesn't matter what it is, please don't hesitate to email me at Bob at Bobpritchard.com, and we will answer you on air or email you directly. Um, we've also had a lot of requests to send out a summary of each week's radio program, which we've been doing now for about eight weeks. And we've had great feedback to that. Thank you. It's really appreciated. We're avid users of LinkedIn, so please become a contact on LinkedIn or on Twitter or Facebook. We'd love to keep in touch with you. And as I mentioned in the uh, first half of the show, I've just been appointed the Honorary President of the American Institute for Sales Marketing Management. Now, since I'm an Honorary President, I don't actually do anything, but um, urge you to join so A-I-S-M-M dot U-S. Thank you for joining us for today's show, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. And in the meanwhile, remember that if you're not really pushing the envelope and you're not on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week when I will be